Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Should President Brigham Young carry some of the blame for the Mountain Meadows Massacre? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Looking at the book Saints, No Unhallowed Hand, we're coming into a time period which I think has brought a lot of remorse for many Latter-day Saints because this is a tragic time in Mormon history. The time period is in the 1850s, and we're going to be talking about the Mountain Meadows Massacre. We're trying to give you a lot of the details leading up to what actually happened in September of 1857. And I know it's kind of difficult because there are a lot of players in this story, and the names start to sound very confusing. But I think it's essential if we're going to try and understand what's going on here. As we've been talking about this week, there is a lot of tension between Brigham Young and the federal government in Washington, D.C. President James Buchanan is sending out some troops to remove Brigham Young from office as governor of the Utah Territory. And there's also stories that these troops are going to cause the saints a lot of harm. Now, you have to understand from their point of view, they've come from back east out to the west to flee persecution. And they're probably assuming that this is going to be a repetition of some of the things they faced when they lived back in Missouri and Illinois. Eric, I can be somewhat sympathetic to the angst that a lot of the Latter-day Saints are feeling at this time, because as this book brings out, there is a lack of communication. Brigham Young really doesn't know what the intent is of James Buchanan, the President of the United States. Buchanan probably doesn't really know what the intent is of Brigham Young in the Salt Lake Valley. And so there's going to be a clash here. Well, you add into the mix the murder of Parley Pratt by Hector McLean, and a lot of tension is building up, and it's going to lead to nothing but disaster. And that disaster is about to take place. The book picks up on page 256 to talk about a man by the name of Jacob Hamlin. Jacob Hamlin was the president of the Indian Mission in southern Utah. He was accompanied by George A. Smith, who was heading back to Salt Lake City. And in yesterday's show, we talked about what George A. Smith's mission was in the southern portion of Utah. He was to deliver a message by Brigham Young that in light of this impending invasion from federal troops, the Mormon people were not to sell anything to any immigrants going through the territory of Utah. Now, George A. Smith also was preaching a lot of very strong messages against the impending invasion as they saw it. So you can kind of understand how this is going to cause a lot of ill feelings against the federal government and the army that's coming out. 
In yesterday's show, I mentioned the Fancher-Baker party, and they are talked about on page 256. And it's interesting how they come into the picture. What does it say on page 256, Eric? About midway to Salt Lake City, the small company camped across the creek from a wagon train of emigrants, mainly from Arkansas, a state in the southern United States. After sunset, a few men from the Arkansas company approached camp and introduced themselves. The company had around 140 people, most of them young and eager to start a new life in California. Several were married and traveling with small children. Their leaders were Alexander Fancher and John Baker. Captain Fancher, who had traveled to California before, was a natural leader who was known for his integrity and courage. Now, on the next page, it confirms what I mentioned yesterday, that this was a relatively wealthy wagon train. It says on page 257 that the company had mules, horses, and oxen to pull their wagons and carriages. They also traveled with hundreds of longhorn cattle, which they would sell for a profit when they arrived in California, provided they kept the cattle fed and healthy on the trail. It goes on and says, Now, with the army approaching, many saints were treating outsiders with suspicion and hostility. Many also obeyed the counsel not to sell provisions to outsiders. And this, of course, goes back a few pages where Daniel Wells gave a speech in Salt Lake City telling people not to sell any provisions to anyone other than themselves because they were expecting this army to come through and they would need the provisions in order to hold off the federal army that was approaching. On the bottom of page 257, it says several days later, the Arkansas company stopped at Cedar City, 250 miles south of Salt Lake City, to purchase supplies before moving on to Mountain Meadows. Cedar City was the last major settlement in southern Utah and home to the Saints iron industry, which was now struggling. Its residents were poor and relatively isolated. Now, understand what's going on, folks. You have this large wagon train needing provisions, but Brigham Young and Daniel Wells both are telling the people not to sell any provisions to these immigrants that are going through. So Brigham Young, you might say, is setting the stage for a problem here because the Fancher-Baker party is going to need to resupply before they cross the desert into California. So now they are going to arrive in Cedar City, as Eric has just read. And here's what happens. The company, it says on page 258, found a man outside of town willing to sell them 50 bushels of unmilled wheat. Some members of the company took the wheat and some corn they had purchased from Indians to a mill operated by Philip Klingensmith, the local bishop who charged an exceptionally high price to grind the grain. This book doesn't tell us what that exceptional high price was, but in one of the books that I referred to yesterday, this one called Massacre at Mountain Meadows, this was put together by three Mormon historians, Ronald W. Walker, Richard E. Turley Jr., and Glenn M. Leonard. They mention this visitation by this Arkansas company, this wagon train. This is what they write on page 132. The members of the Arkansas company reached Cedar City around noon on Thursday, September 3rd, staying only a little over one hour. Now that's important. 
It goes on to say the company's loose stock, one local citizen estimated 500 head, stayed outside the walls, but between 12 and 20 wagons with oxen and horse teams drove through Old Town en route to Smith's mill just east of the fort. It goes on to say, waiting for the grain to be ground at the mill, some immigrant men sampled the Mormon sagebrush whiskey sold at the nearby distillery. Getting a little more of this than they should, one settler said they talked very freely. Uh, You might ask yourself, Eric, why are the Mormons selling sagebrush whiskey? And it seems that this whiskey is potent because it says getting a little more of this than they should they talked very freely well of course the word of wisdom says you're not supposed to be able to have alcohol maybe they would argue we just sell it we don't actually use it but that still seems to go against the heart of what the word of wisdom is about well the book goes on to explain what this high price was for the grinding of this wheat Remember, the book Saints says they were charged an exceptionally high price to grind the grain. On page 132 of the book Massacre at Mountain Meadows, the authors write, Trouble broke out when the miller, following the counsel of Isaac Haight, which is a local Mormon leader, demanded a cow in trade for grinding the grain, an exorbitant price, though isolated trading posts along western trails often charged whatever they could get for goods. Now, you can understand under the situation why there would probably be some price gouging. But obviously, this was taken as an insult by those who needed this food in order to carry on before they cross into California. On page 133, this book that I was just quoting from, from the Mormon historians, they say the high price charged at the last mill before California caused some to curse and swear and say hard things about the Mormons. One Cedar City resident recorded. Now, this is where I find it hard to believe. There's an altercation that goes on, according to what this book has to say. Some nasty things were said by the immigrants towards the Mormon people. And according to this book on page 134, we're supposed to believe that these insulting remarks is what eventually led to the massacre at Mountain Meadows. On page 134, the historians write, Some men in Cedar City, like men elsewhere in America, followed a code of honor that required anyone who insulted a wife, mother, or sister to apologize or be punished. Okay, They probably should have apologized, but you're going to punish them how? The book goes on to say some of the immigrants went farther south to Hamilton's Fort, where they were able to trade. No troubles were reported in this tiny settlement. It goes on to say that minutes of the Cedar City's Female Benevolent Society also provide contemporary evidence that residents believe the immigrants were a threat. Later in the week, two women whose husbands followed the immigrants to Mountain Meadows counseled the other women in their group, quote, to attend strictly to secret prayer in behalf of the brethren that are out acting in our defense. Another woman, Sister Hate, told the women not to be fearful and to teach their sons and daughters the principles of righteousness and to implant a desire in their hearts to avenge the blood of the prophets, referring to the murders of Joseph and Hiram Smith. 
And then it goes on to talk about a gun. The book Saints mentions this. Page 258, it says, What happened next remains unclear. Years later, Cedar City settlers recall that the store clerk did not have the items the emigrants needed or that he simply refused to sell them. Some people remembered a few members of the company growing angry and threatened to help the soldiers exterminate the Saints once the army arrived. Other settlers said that one man in the company claimed to have the gun that killed the prophet Joseph Smith. Now, this accusation of a man having the gun that killed the prophet Joseph Smith is totally made up. For much of Mormonism's history, all we knew about the Mountain Meadows Massacre was told by the perpetrators. They were giving us the narrative. According to page 135 in the book Massacre at Mountain Meadows, the three Mormon historians write this. A persistent element in the stories told against the immigrants was that one boasted of having a gun that killed Joseph Smith. If an immigrant, in fact, made such a boast, it was probably just part of the venting that went on in Cedar City. None of the identified victims of the massacre is known to have had anything to do with the Smith brothers' death. So this whole notion of avenging the blood of the prophets, which was an oath that Mormons would make in their temple ceremony, was totally unnecessary. These people coming from Arkansas were not responsible at all in the death of Joseph Smith or Hiram Smith in June of 1844. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. When sharing your faith with a Latter-day Saint, it helps to know what their church has taught on several basic topics. For this reason, Mormonism Research Ministry has provided its Crash Course Mormonism. Crash Course Mormonism includes concise articles highlighting what LDS leaders and church manuals have taught on issues that will probably come up in a typical conversation. You can find these informative articles at CrashCourseMormonism.com. That's CrashCourseMormonism.com.